Hello and welcome to the Counterweight Podcast, where we talk about how we can strive for a world in which freedom and reason are at the forefront of all human society. In this week's podcast, we speak with Carlos Hoyt and Greg Thomas. Carlos and Greg share with us their efforts to move beyond race in their diversity initiatives, including their latest effort, moving beyond just lip service to real action in an effort to change how we classify race in the U.S. Census. Find out more and join the effort in our podcast show notes. Carlos Hoyt and Greg Thomas, welcome to the Counterweight podcast. I was about ready to say Counterweight Conference. I have Greg, we just got finished doing a Counterweight Conference with you. And Carlos, I know you just got finished doing a conference with Greg. So conference is on my mind right now. But as a bit of an introduction to our podcast audience, both of you are speakers, writers, both of you very concerned about diversity. Greg, as we know from the conference, you you have the Jazz Leadership Project. Carlos, as people might know from you about you at from our previous podcast, you are very committed to new ways of doing diversity without division. And I know that you both recently did a conference that I think was greatly successful with she, Dr. Sheena Mason. And that's what we're here to talk about and, and talk about what your ideas on on how we kind of move forward in this in this world. So I'll hush and just let you guys tell me a little bit more about yourselves and the work that you're doing. All right. Okay. For me to jump in. All right. Well, um, great seeing you, Greg, and wonderful seeing you, Jennifer. Thanks for having us. Um, so much to talk about, but I will center on what for me has been this like delightful um, sort of growing collaboration between Greg and uh, Dr. Sheena Mason and First, I should say that uh, Greg and I are so sorry that Sheena's not here because, you know, of the three of us, she's probably the best. Um, so we'll, we'll do our very best to try to represent um, the great work that she did. And, you know, we got together, I don't know, it's just been actually a few months that we've really been able to get to know each other and talk with each other. And we talk about everything, you know, our views around what's happening in the world of uh, identity and social justice and uh DEI and everything else. And we share our projects. You know, we're wonderful collaborators around giving feedback and encouragement and also critical uh, sort of feedback to each other. And pretty early on in the process of our, you know, getting into collaboration, we sort of talked about, wow, you know, we should do something outward facing, you know, with all of this. We should gather people uh, in a public way, you know, not just during the workshops that we do when people ask us to do work but actually create an opportunity for just folks who want to show up to come and talk about this. And we spent a lot of time thinking about what the form of that should be. You know, at first we were thinking, let's do a couple of days, let's invite a panel, like, let's just go for this thing. And it was probably, I think it was me who said, like, maybe we should, like, tailor back a little bit. And it wasn't so much that I wanted to tailor back on the substance, it's that I want to tailor back, to be honest with you, on the number of people, you know, that would be sort of on stage. Because the more and more I got to know Greg and Sheena, the more and more it was clear to me, like we could fill a week by ourselves, you know, so why not use this first opportunity to collaborate uh, to give each other a chance to share, you know, with a, a number of participants, our views on this thing that we call race and identity and racism and all of that stuff. Um, it turns out that all of us sort of coalesce around this set of ideas using different terminology. So that was sort of this natural way of saying, well, you know, Sheena, talk about racelessness. 
Um, you know, Greg, talk about culture, you know, and that being a better way to think about our differences and similarities. And of course, I do this um, thing that I tend to frame as anti-racialization or uh, the non-racial worldview. So right there, you know, we had three sort of windows next to each other in the similar house of, of views around the stuff that we could present. We also determined very quickly that we wanted this to be not just a sage on stage talking at people uh, opportunity, but a chance for folks to also do their own metabolism and synthesis and talking with each other, you know, certainly based on what we had to share, but for them to get a chance to actually think about what's your bearing on this? You know, how do you move through this? Uh, even if you're just starting to think about it today, you know, let's, let's have a chance to really talk about that. So the conference was divided roughly into two sections. You know, in the morning, each of the three of us had a chance to uh, present a little bit about what we called our journeys, you know, to our dispositions around race and racial identity and racism, et cetera. In the afternoon, uh, we had a chance to go a little bit deeper and think about, well, how do we think about the praxis? How do we apply and live, you know, our dispositions around race and racial identity and racism? Uh, both parts of the day were lovely, uh, and I was particularly um, happy about the second part of the day because I got to do something that was almost purely praxis. I would have been happy to talk about my views, and, and I love doing that. But it had turned out that just uh, maybe weeks or maybe a month before uh, we were formulating the conference, the U.S. Census Bureau <laughs> sent to all of us, actually, you may have gotten or remember getting something in the mail too, Jen, uh, inviting us for the first time in the history of the census to give some input into the next big, you know, census data collection, which is the decennial census that'll happen in 2030. And I just thought, well, I can't pass this up. You know, if we're going to have a conference and we're going to have people in front of us, I would love to engage them in thinking about a way to appeal to the census to do better around the way they collect racial data. So um, ended up drafting uh, and a, a petition and a proposal, basically, that, uh, at least in my view and in our view, once I got to talk with Greg and Sheena about it, would improve, actually, the way the census does its business about race, which in some ways sounds um, ambitious and audacious. Uh, in some other ways, if they're going to invite us to make things better, let's try. And the last part of the day at the conference was people really wrestling with that. And it was beautiful. Um, there were folks, in terms of diversity, there are police um, officers in the room. <laughs> there are conservatives in the room. Uh, there are folks who'd be identified as liberals, you know, folks who'd be identified as conservatives, you know, male-identified people, female It was just lovely. Uh, and folks had some really spirited and fun conversation about this. And I remember saying at the end, not even so much about, you know, some of the substance of what happened, which was great, but saying, if nothing else, you know, I hope everybody walks away knowing that it is possible in this country to talk about race, you know, across different identities and do so in a constructive, compassionate, empathic, loving and fun way. Um, so it was just a beautiful day uh, from my point of view. I'll stop there and let Greg uh, sort of speak to this and anything else that you want to, my friend. Sure. I, it was a, I agree. It was a beautiful day. Uh, inside, it was a beautiful day outside. It was like we were crowned with wonderful sunshine to, to, to bless this first event we did together. And for me, I, I won't go over the arc because I think, and that was actually a pun intended to Carlos's book, uh, The Arc of a Bad Idea, which is very influential on me. And I want to say more about that, but it, Personally, 
for me personally, it was deeply moving and, and an honor because I had a chance to not only share my own ideas about what I've come to call deracialization, but I had an opportunity to share the stage with Carlos Hoyt, who has profoundly influenced my own perspective on these issues, and Sheena Mason, who in the last year or so has come on the scene like a comet in terms of her theory of racelessness. And for us to be able to work together, I mean, I did Sheena's uh, podcast and it was either on the podcast or in a private conversation. I said, you know, you need to check out Carlos Hoyt. Um, and I've been aware of Carlos's work for, I say the last at least eight years, if not more. Um, and his book, um, Transcend, I'm sorry, Understand The Arc of a Bad Idea, Understanding and Transcending Race, was very influential on me because it gave me language. It gave me a way to think about and speak about racialized identity in a way that acknowledges what we call racialization without compelling myself to racialize. It also gave me a way of what Carlos alluded to, embracing a non-racial identity. And there are other people who have, have done this also. And so it was revelatory to me in many ways. And I had been searching for ways for a long time. Like, how do we transcend this racial problem? And he gave me language frameworks um, that that just was so powerful for me. And then for Sheena, she's, she's grounded in the philosophies of race. So she's not here. So I'll just take a quick moment to share um, the first aspect is like, what is race? And she says there's three basic philosophies. One that looks at race as a part of nature, like it's bi biological. Another that says race is a social construct. Another that says race is just not real. And then there are three ways to deal with or to take action on race. And one is to do nothing because you think it's real. Another is to let's see what we can do with race. Can we fix this thing? And the third is to say, bye-bye, cut the cord, eliminate it. So in that podcast that I did with Sheena, I, had, I wasn't quite aware of all these different terms, but we came to the conclusion that we both were uh, along the lines of we want to eliminate it. And we're very skeptical about whether race is even a reality at all. Um, so I just wanted to, to, to share that because she's not here, but th this is part of her contribution. But for me, it was just, it was such a beautiful experience. My wife attended, my daughter attended, uh, they participated fully. And it was just, it was, it was a kind of a blissful experience for me to think back. And like Carlos said, and I'll end here, you can talk about race, racism, racialization, a racial worldview, and alternatives to the same, and do it in a way where 
people feel both safe and brave to speak, to be themselves. And it was a really beautiful thing. Carlos, I mean, I'd love to hear more on this idea Well, from both of you, but yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with this idea of eliminatism and deracialization. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about how you feel that we can go about realizing that in, in, you know, in our everyday lives. Yeah, just to, um, and I know we're going to do this in this conversation too. I remember Jen, the first time I got to speak with, um, with you and David on the program, it was also an example of people possibly <laughs> having different orientations about some things like demonstrating that we can have constructive conversation. Um, so again, that was a great part of the day and people really reflected back uh, that aspect in terms of their evaluations, which were thankfully just glowing, it was wonderful. Um, so one of the nice things I think about what the three of us represent is, you know, sort of the, the stretching and, in different ways about how to go about what you just said. I think if Sheena were here, I, and I hope I'm not misrepresenting her, you know, she would push very strongly for the fastest possible movement, you know, towards disabusing everybody, you know, of the need to think about themselves and others uh, in terms of race. Um, even the, you know, the common popular sort of default that, well, yeah, we get that race isn't, you know, biological or scientific, but it is a social construct, you know, therefore we have to pay attention to it, is something that Sheena would say, yeah, but do we? <laughs> you know, and can't we just push through that too? Um, and I'll allow Greg to, you know, speak to his own sort of view on that. My sort of current bearing on it, and I emphasize current, you know, I think it's important for all of us to keep evolving our views on this. But my current view on the social construct uh, sort of aspect of it is that race is an idea. You know, there are lots of social constructs that we come up with. Um, so I'm okay referring to it that way. But that should not be an excuse to keep acting as if it's real, which is too often what's happened, you know, what happens out there. Um, so for me, the way to, to keep moving forward is to, one, acknowledge, and this means some education, actually, for a lot of people, because the, the truth of the science, you know, doesn't even... Uh, permeate scientists, you know, some of them still act as if, you know, race is a, a real thing uh, in terms of their behavior. And for example, coming up with medicines that are tailored to certain quote unquote races. So even though science knows better technically, science and medicine sometimes still act as if race is real. So if it's happening at the scientific level, it's certainly happening at the layperson level too. So I think a lot of education needs to happen, you know, around this. Thankfully, you know, kids are the most malleable uh, and receptive and open-minded philosophers we have. And I certainly find that when I get to talk with them, you know, about race, you know, they get it, uh, perhaps easier than some adults who have been soaked in some ideas around it. So education that gives folks a chance to dismantle, you know, the socialization we've had about race as a real thing that we should pay attention to, that then, you know, sort of confronts this idea that race is a social construct, yes, but... That doesn't mean it's something that we have to keep embracing. We have to move through that. And then a part of this that I think is very sort of tender, you know, for some people, and particularly, you know, folks who look like me, who for very good reason, you know, have come to embrace their racial identity, you know, as a source of uh, important orientation, um, solidarity, uh, political base. You know, it's hard sometimes to let go of that. Are you saying, telling me that I shouldn't be black? You know, I take a great deal of pride in my being black. 
to which I say, I am not saying that, <laughs> you know, because anybody is allowed to and will believe whatever they want to about their identity, whether it's political identity or religious identity. And we don't do any good in sort of trying to take that away from people. But for folks who are willing to dialogue about the, you know, sort of the parameters and the ups and downs of what it means to identify with anything, then there's a good conversation we can have. Because for me, the pride, you know, that you take in being a quote unquote black person, there's something super valid about that, but it's not about being a black person because there are no black people, right? It's about being a person, you know, who is part of a, a culture, you know, a mindset, uh, a group of people who's had to make adjustments, um, who's had to fight hard, who's part of a lineage of resisting oppression. All of those things are things to take pride in, it seems to me. The good news is, you know, there are lots of groups, you know, who have had to do that. It's not good that they've had to do it, but it's true that a lot of us have that in common. And wouldn't it be wonderful to sort of transcend, you know, some of the identity frames around that and take pride in that. The resistance of false imposition of restrictive identities, no matter what we call it. So blackness, you know, is one of those. Now, the black um, identity has a culture behind it. <laughs> you know, we know that there are television um, networks that are behind it. You know, there is a, well, and Greg can speak this to this too. There's even the idea that there's music that belongs, you know, to only black people. Uh, we've sort of grown up learning those things. And I think over time, it'd be good to start to unlearn those things, not to take it away, you know, right away, because that's just going to foment resist resistance, but to help people think past the fossilization, the concretization, you know, the restrictiveness of what we call social identity right now. So that to me is sort of a plan. And when we get to talking about the census piece, I think there's a very practical thing that we can do to keep moving people forward. And we'll talk about that too. Greg, I welcome your thoughts on any of that. Thank you. Yes, uh, glad to. Well, um, to start with the whole social construction uh, place that you began, um, you used the term yes, but, and I would use a term that signifies improvisation, theater improvisation, yes, and, because I'm very grounded in, uh, in jazz, the jazz aesthetic. Uh, which was founded um, by Black Americans and innovated by Black Americans. And for me, that term is an ethnic and cultural term with a nationality, not a racial term, just to be specific. But the idea that any group of people that creates an art form or that creates idiomatic expressions of their values and the meanings and their aspirations owns it, uh, betrays a lack of understanding of how culture has worked for thousands of years among human beings. So when something is created, it becomes a gift to the world. Okay. So, which for everyone to share, you know. So I just wanted to make, make that statement in terms of ways to go about what Carlos calls anti-racialization and Sheena calls racelessness and what I call deracialization. I think there is kind of a three pronged approach. Um, one is on the structural and systemic level where we actually endeavor to separate race from the state, to disaggregate the two. And the U.S. Census effort is an example of that. Another to go to the other end of the scale is just on the individual 
subjective I place, you know, will I racialize myself? I've decided to no longer racialize myself. I've decided to embrace a non-racial identity and thereby transcending race itself as an idea and racialization as a process that creates race and keeps it alive. And particularly a racial worldview that infuses all of it. But a lot of times, and this is what Carlos was alluding to, if, if people feel like something is challenging or taking away aspects of that identity, walls go up, defense mechanisms go up. That's why I always emphasize that we are not talking about taking away your heritage, your culture, your ethnicity, uh, your ancestry. We're not talking about doing that. We're talking about separating those things from a very destructive, to say the least, idea and process that has really gotten in the way of the realization of these wonderful ideals that are talked about in the nation's sacred documents, you know, um, that all men, of course, is all men and women and others are created equal. Um, but they were not enacting that equality of status to all people. So as we move towards the realization of that, at least if we're talking in terms of United States of America and democracy, one of the ways that I strongly feel that we can move more in that direction is through stop identifying with race, stop racializing ourselves. And the last piece is the, there's the I, the we, and the it. The it being the social, structural, systemic. The I being the personal, subjective. And then in the middle is the interpersonal, the intersubjective. We don't have to racialize each other either. Let's look deeper than the surface externals that were used as the basis to define race. And when we do that, we find out about each other's individuality. You as an individual, Jennifer, and you as an individual, Carlos, what's your background? What's your likes and dislikes? What are your interests? What's your education? What are your specialties? What don't you like and why? And those things might not have anything to do with race. I mean, it's like there's a, there's a level of of surreal absurdity that we have to acknowledge. That's why we have to bring in literature and humanity so we can get to irony and stuff. Because the idea that based on me having more melanin than you, Jennifer, that that's going to tell you anything significant about me or you. What does that tell you? You know, it's like, it's just on the surface of it, so ridiculous. But of course, we have hundreds of years of the word that Carlos used, concretization, now concretization of these ideas, and they become social norms. So it'll take time for us to disaggregate ourselves from all those things. But I'm confident that we can do so. If more people hear about these ideas and then decide for themselves how they want to move forward. Yeah, the last thing I would add, you know, Jennifer, to how do you get there is 
there's got to be a constant reassurance, and not just rhetorical. I think folks really need to be persuaded that moving in this direction isn't moving away, you know, from the battle against racism. You know, because one of the concerns that some people have, and again, I understand it, is that, all right, so now, you know, Dr. Mason, Greg Thomas, and, and Carlos Hoyt are saying there's no race. So the next time something horrible in the world happens, it seems to have to do with race, can't even talk about it, and they're giving us cover for that. And that's, you know, the opposite of what's going on here. Um, when something bad happens in the world, and, you know, Sheena talks about this with her race translator, you know, because someone mistreated someone based on their perception of that person's race, that's not about race for two reasons. <laughs> One is there's no such thing as race. And two is the person who was the victimizer might not even know how that person identifies by race or if they do. What we do know is the person who was the victimizer was practicing racialization, right? They were sizing that person up in terms of their own false conceptions of what race is, what it means, and what kind of behavior it justifies. So what we're talking about here is actually the only way to get past racism, which is by recognizing that what we call racial incidents are motivated by this process of racialization. And if we can teach people and support them in ceasing to racialize themselves and others, then there'll still be mistreatment in the world, but it should be less and less based on this thing we call race. And I'll flip so, to the census piece um, in a moment as soon as I give you a chance to respond to any of the stuff. Yeah, that, yeah. You know, well, I'm fascinated. I didn't mean to interrupt you because I want to hear about the census, but you know, I, I'm living in this world too. I'll, I'll let you know. Uh, I've got a, a book coming out. My co-author, as you guys are, you both might know, is uh, W. F. Twyman Jr., who is a uh, he is also retired from race. And so we love the idea. We we both have worked on that. We're working on it, even though our letter, our book is called Letters in Black and White. And let me just tell you briefly about a little disagreement that we had that will show up in our book is he asked me, can we just see each other as old Americans? And I said, I said, well, I love that idea. I said, but I believe that so many people will say that sidestepping history. And particularly if it was someone that with the melanin that I have, if I said, oh, let's just forget all this. We're old Americans. That it, the, the criticism would be um, stronger on me where it's like, well, you're that's because you just don't want to address the past. And, and Carlos, what I just heard you say, I think sums up what I'm feeling. This is not to say that these things haven't happened or they're not real. I believe what it is to say is in order for us to find that commonality that brings us into the future, the one way that we can do this is by dismissing race, not culture, not as Eric Smith would say, discourse. Eric talks about discourse communities, which I love as much as culture. That's a, a little bit of an off topic, but it's similar to culture. It's not dismissing culture. It's not dismissing history. But it is dismissing literally like this, that melanin has anything to do with how we operate as as human beings. Did I maybe get all that right? Is it did Oh absolutely. You know, and I, I think again this trio that's on, on the screen now is such a wonderful example of the way individuals, no matter their perspectives, can turn and turn this thing and start to arrive at a very similar destination. So I think that's really cool. I need to get a clarification, though. Did your co-author say, let's call ourselves old Americans, like OLD? Yeah, yeah, yes, and I'll explain that to you. Sorry. Um, what he was saying was, 
both his family and my family have been involved in slavery. So his family uh, with more melanin have both been slave owners and uh, uh, slaves and my family, um, to my knowledge, although I have many people across the melanin scale uh, in my family, the ones that I can trace back have been slave owners. And so what he was saying was, can we look back at our history of America and say that we're old Americans where we all, the, uh, this history is ours. This history is ours. The good, the bad, and the ugly, it's ours. And in order to kind of come together, we need to address all that as our history, not as white history, black history, you know, again, racialized history. The other thing that, for clarity, I'll say that he said was, you know, we've got, we're such a nation of, of immigration, right? And in, in such a beautiful way. So he's got friends that have you know, recently immigrated from Asia. And to them, this conversation around race and slavery, it's just like, they're like, I'm like, I don't even know where you're coming from. You know, I mean, we came here for this idea. Then slavery is not really part of the discourse community or cultural community that we're in. And so his idea was that the people who need to come together to resolve these issues are old Americans who can trace their family back to these original issues that are so painful to our history. Does I that see. make sense? Did I? Yeah, because when I heard you say okay. it the first time, I, I wondered why you didn't say, who are you calling old? But now I understand. Yeah, what you mean. Okay. yeah. I, 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 while I'm older, I would never call myself <laughs> the old Americans of, of the, who can trace our history back to kind of the foundation of America, its founding and including slavery. Well, you know, at the risk of being a bit too nerdy, but I am only amongst friends, I look forward to, to reading your work and I, I wonder, you know, you mentioned, and I think with, with accuracy, with legitimacy, that, that folks who are new to this whole American thing look at us like, what are you folks talking about? What's wrong with you? But that's within sort of a, a nation frame. And I think, you know, I'm a clinician. If we just think, we think even higher up, you know, um, a greater sort of arc that holds us all. We're human beings, right? And we know that sadly, you know, social identity and social bias and social justice are things that play out, you know, across all cultures for all time, um, because we tend to click with folks who seem to be of our feather. And then we are suspicious of at best, you know, folks who don't seem to be like us. So even folks who are new to this particular, uh, sort of dynamic of social identity bias and justice, I think have things to contribute to it because they are coming from places where there's a version of this. We know that it happens all over the world. And I think that kind of commonality, that kind of in the same boatness, you know, I think services us all well too. But that to me is just an expansion of the idea of, can't we say we're all American? Because for me, I want to say, can't we say we're all earthlings? Can't we say we're all humans? You know, and we have the same susceptibility, you know, to be on the wrong side of social identity bias and justice. Um, so I just wanted to say that, and I, I do look forward to, to reading that work. Um, I would love to um, give us a chance to explore a little bit what's happening with the census project. Would that be okay, Greg and Jen? Absolutely. I've been waiting. Sorry to to taking us on a bit of a sidetrack. <laughs> oh, it wasn't a sidetrack because everything we've talked about, I think, sort of leads up to this project, right? Um, I'm going to share screens and try to give the... So, uh, and I'm going to ask for Greg's help um, as somebody who has um, really helped shape this and was in the room when we had this wonderful discussion. Um, but I'm going to try to give a really quick intro or a description of what the project is about. 
And that's why I put up, I don't know what page this is of the document we're going to send to the census, but this is a crucial one. And this, and folks might recognize this if you spend any time at all doing the census that comes to you uh, every 10 years, this is the race form. Uh, and in, in this case is the one from the 2020 decennial census, which is pretty much like the one for the 2010 too. Uh, and this is the way the census has tended to go at it. From decennial census to decennial census, some things will appear, change, shift, etc. But basically the question is, what is this person's race? And then whoever is filling out the form for themselves or for their progeny uh, in their household have a series of, series of boxes they can check. And the census basically curates, you know, about five different racial categories right now, uh, white, black, or African-American, American Indian or Alaskan Native, um, uh, an other Asian or uh, Pacific Islander or Hawaiian. And there are places here where one can sort of um, add some detail to one of these categories, but basically that's what you have to choose from. Right? So there are one, two, three problems with this. And these are not just problems that we're introducing to the world, you know, with this uh, proposal. These are problems that lots of people have noticed, including the census. Um, one problem is, and the census doesn't so much talk about this one, but we wanted to address it, is that by compelling, because this is a requirement, you know, that everybody who gets the census has to fill it up, uh, by requiring people to label themselves in terms of race, uh, the census is actually perpetuating the false notion of race. It's telling people that there are racial categories, you must belong to one of us, tell us which one it is, right? So there's a double problem within that one problem. One is you're forcing me to subscribe to something that maybe I don't even subscribe to, which I think has a free speech, um, sort of compelled speech element to it, uh, which is not supposed to be okay in terms of free speech. Um, the other is the perpetuation of this false notion that science has already told us doesn't exist. So that's one problem. Another problem uh, is that my self-definition is not what determines how somebody treats me in terms of race. And the reason that the uh, Census Bureau says it wants to collect this data is for representation, you know, so that folks can be represented in terms of what they think their racial identity is, but also to track things like discrimination based on racism. But discrimination based on race doesn't map onto, again, what I think I am. As I said in the earlier example, somebody might attack me and not even know how I self-identify. So let's say I identify as Hispanic. I'm Costa Rican, right? I could say when I came to this country, I didn't even know about this black-white thing. Like, don't even involve me in that. But the person who wants to see me a certain way and attack me based on that, that is what matters. So what we are proposing, you know, to the census is that we expand on this document, alter it in such a way that it allows people to give information that might truly be helpful to us around the census's goals. So this question changes from what is this person's race to how is this person racialized? And immediately then we invite people to actually say whether or not they do think of themselves in terms of race. So the box that you see right away is I don't identify as race. Right now, over 50 million people check a box on the census uh, that says some other race. Right? Some other race has become the second largest racial category in the census which if you think about it is kind of absurd, right? But it means that there are so many people out there who either don't want to be identified by the options that are offered by the census and either want to write in something else or they're just not going to write in anything and they're just saying, don't involve me in this. 
We have no idea as to what people would say if they were given the option to say, I do not identify by race. So this is a way to find out. The other thing uh, that this form allows is over on the right side you see here, by other. So by self, if I do identify by race, how do I identify? And I can check any of these boxes. And how do others tend to identify me? Right? Because I, I know that I certainly have a sense when I walk through the world about how other people see me in terms of race. So me personally, if I were filling out this form, I would check I do not identify by race. And then I would also check that others identify me as Black or African American. Right? Two separate things, but two things that shouldn't matter uh, to the government. And right now, they have no way of tracking two of those three things. They do track my self-identified racial identity if I identify that way. But this simple change would bring us to a point where we're improving the census in a way that it serves everybody and still allows us to collect important data on protecting people from racism. Greg, anything about that? And I know there's a lot more to this document than the things I just focused on, but that you want to talk to? What I would say is that um, I think that there's some, perhaps some mystical cosmic forces at play that we were actually working on this conference on September 24th and about a month before the census asked for comments for the first time. Uh, so I want to put that out there. But in terms of the specifics of this, I think this is a powerful move in the right direction where people who want to continue identifying by a particular racial identity, the, the rug is not being pulled. You can still do that, but you can also identify how others perceive you. And if you don't want to identify by race at all, you can click that first box. So to me, it's more precise, it's more accurate, but at the same time, it's a subtle or small enough adjustment where it shouldn't be confusing. Once it's framed, once the census frames it for people, explains why they're making this adjustment, and people look at the form, they say, oh, we know that people will then have an understanding of, or gain an understanding of what being racialized is, which is a big step forward to what we're trying to do. And it would then allow the census to, like, to take a look at how many people actually don't identify by race at all. How many people are then perceiving themselves as racialized a certain way versus people who identify themselves as that. I mean, I'm, I'm just, I'm powerfully curious as to what those results would be. And, and, the, and this is the thing that when people hear about certain ideas, um, deracialization, anti-racialization, racelessness, uh, they wonder, as you alluded to, Jennifer, they say, you know, oh, so you just, you just want to let people off the hook. You know, where we didn't know this shows that we still want to track these things in a way that allows us to look at bias, discrimination that are at least partially related to how one is racialized. So we won't lose that. So I think this is a really powerful innovation that would be more helpful to everyone. 
Thank you. Jen, I want to get your thoughts on this, but I'll add a couple of things just to set the table for you. We were talking earlier about um, sort of philosophical responses to, to race. You know, do you retain it? Do you revise it? Do you eliminate it? Sometimes what I say to people is, I think a fourth option is you correct it continually. And this um, census project is a praxis act of correctivism, right? You know, this thing is out there. We're not just going to pull it, pull the rug out, as you know, as Greg says, that's not going to happen. It wouldn't work well, but we can start to make the correction, right? We can build in a better way of thinking on top of the current way of thinking on the way to maybe the best way of thinking. Um, the other thing I'll show you, in case you haven't had a chance to look at it. Oh, that's very cool. We didn't have to start, stop sharing and start again. We put um, this uh, petition on change.org uh, this morning, right? And you can see people are starting to sign up. Uh, and basically, this is just a short invitation to look at this longer document um, that I was uh, working from when I was just talking with the two of you. So there's a link here that will take you to the full document that we plan to send to the census uh, by November 15th. Uh, so our hope is, our invitation right now, our encouragement to anybody who might see this before that deadline is please check this out. You know, take a look at this uh, petition, take a look at the document. If you have questions, you can you know contact me directly. Uh, and we're hoping to get some numbers behind this um, because as we know, and one of the nice things I think about our country is once numbers get behind something, people pay attention. So I just wanted to share that as well. So I, I I love this idea. Like you, like I've already expressed, I'm I'm on I'm on the same path as you. Uh, you know, I still struggle with some of the ideas. One of the things I was struggling with when I was looking at the census thing was there's some things that I would identify. And again, I'm not not that smart, and I know there's different classifications. But you know, there was you had white, African American, American Indian, and then you had Chinese, Vietnamese, whatever. To me, like Chinese, Vietnamese, like that's a nationality. So to me, like I see so much as American, right? Like if you and if the three of us went over to China, I'd say we're American, right? Like what box do you check? We check American, right? So if a Chinese person immigrates here, to me, that's different than race. That's like a nationality. Is that, what am I missing? You're not missing anything, and I smile. I know, because you're not missing I just anything. <laughs> I mean, this is. I, I just mean, feel delighted when people. No, go ahead. Go ahead, Carl. Go ahead, Greg. No, thank you. I was just going to say. Oh, I was just going to say. Go ahead, Dave. Go ahead, Carl. All right. I was just going to say. I'm always delighted when people just get a moment to steer this down and then realize, oh my gosh, this makes no sense. Um, and this happened at the conference too. There was this moment where you know, people were saying, why don't we just get rid of the whole thing? And I have to say, well, hold on a minute. I don't even right. disagree with you, but change is not going to happen that way. Let's focus a little bit here and sort of chip away at this. But you're quite right, Jen. Um, the census confuses this thing that we call ethnicity, which is nebulous in and of itself, with this thing that we call race, which doesn't even exist. Um, and then it just gets messier and messier and messier. Um, it's a lethal absurdity, you know, that, that keeps us in trouble with each other. The census knows that in some ways, but my feeling is that it's a, it's a machine that has so much inertia. You know, it's been with us since the beginning of this country, basically that instead of somebody being ready to say, we need to overhaul this whole thing, they really just try to change it bit by bit. Let's get more people. Let's find a way to ask this question so that more people will check off the box that we need them to because this is the model we've been using for so long. 
But more and more, there is pressure, you know, from all sorts of different groups who are saying, either that doesn't look like me, so I don't want to take part in it, or the thing I do think I look like and that's important to me isn't there. So why isn't that there? And that's the, the constant sort of tension that the census is in. So you're quite right. Those things are problematic. And, and David Bernstein, um, a few months back, came up with a book, I think, Classified, that deals with the census. And he goes through the history of the census in relation to these different groups and how and why certain groups were classified as white and certain others weren't. And then, of course, there's the confusion between nationality uh, and ethnicity and race. All of that is in that page. So you are far from the only one, Jennifer, to point out, like, am I missing something? No, no, it's a very confused document. We have to start with working with what we have as we move in in the in the right direction and we have to be pragmatic about it you know american pragmatism is is the primary philosophy in america <laughs> and so we have to be pragmatic what can work at this stage as we continue moving forward you know so um those are those are very good questions so uh we're not going to resolve the some of the tensions and confusion that comes from the census. But what we can do is make it a bit more accurate, a bit more precise, and give people more agency to really stop racializing themselves if they don't want to, continue doing so if they like to, not identify with race at all, and identify how others perceive them so they can continue tracking those statistics. Yeah, Jenna, I'll give you a good so confirmation smart. of your wisdom around this because you said, and I've heard you say this before, and you know, I, no, I don't like it when you say you're not that smart. You're actually brilliant. <laughs> yeah, I don't um, like that either. So, I don't like that. We got a problem with that. <laughs> I'm going to show this book. I'm going to put it on the screen. So here's the title. What is your race? And the author, Kenneth Pruitt, yes. was the director of the U.S. Mm -hmm. Census Bureau. Um, mm -hmm. I know Ken a little bit because he was kind enough to um, endorse my book and just do some mentoring with me. But I want to read the subtitle here. The subtitle is The Census and Our Flawed Efforts to Classify Americans. So if ever there was something right from the horse's mouth, <laughs> and this is the director of the U.S. Census sort of saying, and I think very bravely, you know, um, and coherently, that it's problematic and we just need to work on it. So this is a known problem. All we're doing is try to throw, throw, throw out a practical solution to solve it. My hope is, you know, that actually by the 2030 um, census, because we have some time, even though things move slowly, uh, the census will grasp onto this, you know, talk to some regular folks um, like us about it, and also develop some sort of educational campaign on the way to the census. I believe part of what's hard for the census, even as it is right now, is that folks don't have a sense of what's coming when they open that envelope or somebody asks them. Uh, and and. I think particularly the piece of education that needs to happen is around this word racialization that we've talked about. Yeah. Folks need to understand that race is not something that you are, it's something that is done to you, right? And it's done through this mm -hmm. process of racialization. And we need to figure out a way to understand that, monitor it, disrupt it, and ultimately, I hope, end it. And I think through PSAs and getting stars to talk about it, like all the things we do when we want to change something, you know, think of the anti-smoking campaigns that we used to have, right? You know, if we can do that kind of work, 
we can start to have people be ready to make some real change and difference. And think about teen, preg teen pregnancy. There was a campaign to reduce teen, a concerted, organized and integrated campaign, and it worked. So when these different entities want to put their heads together to solve social problems, it can be done. And so that's why I'm, I'm optimistic. That's why I'm hopeful uh, on this front. And like you said, we've got the time because I do think that this is something that needs to be, I mean, it, it's going to take a minute for people to go, oh, yeah. You know, I mean, it, it, it's it, it's something you have to think about. Oh, yes, this this racialization, we're, we're doing, we're a part of this. We're creating this. We can actually stop it. And one of the things I love, too, about what you guys are doing with this uh, campaign, Carlos, you just kind of said it, but I'm going to put a, a fine point on it, is ultimately, if I heard you right, that is, ultimately to get this off the ballot altogether. But the fact of the matter is, Life isn't either or. Life is really messy. And so in, in order to make that change, we have to be okay with making incremental changes that get us to that final destination. And I feel like that's what uh, stalls a lot of people's fervor and, 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 and optimism is because they want it to just flip overnight and life, life doesn't work that way. And then it's just like, well, then burn the whole system down. Instead of going, you know what? There's a way to do it. We just have to. What what happens when you? That's exactly. I just want to say this real quick, Carlos. When you do it too fast, there's unintended consequences that always arise. If you just if you just so drastic and so radical, right? First of all, as far as the census, they're not going to do that. So if they're not going to do that then why would you, I mean, do you want to win or not? Do you want to wage a battle incrementally, to use your word, that is possible? Or do you want to just be rhetorically right and end up practically nowhere? Yeah, and I was just going to provide a, an example. I don't mean to get us into a whole other discussion that could take a couple hours, but you know, we know that coming out of the, you know, the horrific, you know, George Floyd murder um, situation, there was a cry to do what? Defund the police, you know, and while I appreciate the passion, you know, behind that, and while I think that um, the way that we do policing in this country is completely open uh, and in need of some thought and what people call reform, the defund police thing was never going to go anywhere, right? I knew that from the beginning. You know, and it hasn't. And I think that's a parallel, you know, Jen, to what you're saying and Greg, to what you're saying about, yeah, there can be this feeling that like, you know, burn the whole thing down, but that ends up being counterproductive and gets us nowhere. A few weeks ago on the way to this conference, actually, I invited the chief of police of my town to come and hang with me in my house for a little bit. We talked about the conference and, you know, looking like I do, I have every reason to be weary, you know, of anybody that's a police officer uh, in this country. But if I just build a wall and say anybody who looks like him and does what he does, you know, you know, I can't get along with, we don't get anywhere. It doesn't mean that I don't think there are, there are things to change. And we actually ended our conversation saying, maybe I'll do some work with elect, you know, the, the police in my town um, to help them around DEI stuff and make the movement as much as we can incrementally, probably, because you can't turn everything over um, all the way right away and have it uh, be any good. So yes, this is, we hope, um, a manageable, practical, meaningful 
you know, step we can take um, to make our country a little bit better around this stuff. I am, I am so honored that you guys came on to share this. We, this will be, make sure that we've got the link to all this so that all of our listeners can also join your movement if they choose. So before I let you go and, and have a beautiful weekend, any final call to action words again, and just love being, love being part of this conversation. So thank you for the time. I would just say, Greg, I, I, I want to leave you the last word, Carlos. So I'll just say that we want others to be a part of the conversation, too. That's why we would like them to go to the change.org page, read it. And if you agree that there needs to be some changes in this racial classification, sign it so that we can get some movement in this direction. And that would be a great way uh, to voice to begin voicing your opinion on this very important and crucial topic. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, I will share that, you know, the census has changed basically three different ways, you know, in this country um, lead to a change in the census. One is the folks who actually run the census see something in their data or their goals change and they will make a change around a category or the way they ask a question. Um, so it could that happen from within the census? Another is uh, a lawmaker, you know, a legislator, a, a senator um, has something that they want to take on and, and uh, promote. And the, the census might change that way. That has literally happened as well. And the third way is that the people speak up, right? And a good example of that is, I think it was in 2000, maybe the 1991. I'm sorry if I, I can't nail that one down. But at one in one decennial census, we went from you can only check one box to you can check more than one box. That was made possible by a decades-long campaign by folks who identified as mixed race, who were feeling like they weren't represented. You know, and ultimately that showed up on the census. So this change.org thing that we're doing, you know, is not just symbolic. Like this is the way that things can change. And I'm just excited to be able to invite people into this kind of praxis, you know, more than just conversation about race in this country, but actually correcting something that has been a problem yes. since we started doing the yes. census. And I think it'd be pretty yes. cool to feel that one was part of that. So I hope folks will jump on. You nailed it. Instead of, this is, this is an example of more than just talk. Yeah. This is the action. Wow. All right. It's yeah. been a pleasure.